Microphone, can you hear me? Yeah. I tell you, when you get to be my age, you're going to have problems remembering things too. Okay. I'm still, I'm still in a car driving with young little children, and it's still in my mind. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome as we have gathered for worship. Welcome to everyone in the sanctuary. Welcome uh, to everyone following live stream. Who knows, maybe this will go viral. This is the, uh, the service that's on YouTube. And um, let me note uh, three announcements for you. The first one I want to mention is that the last Sunday of this month, uh, I have forced uh, Gail Prince uh, to come here uh, for worship and for us to recognize her. So I hope uh, everyone will come and that you'll be writing cards that you can place in a basket there in the narthex. And um, thank you, dear. And um, so, so be, be thinking about that. I think Gail has been the longest tenure of an employee in this church that this church has ever had, including its pastors. So we certainly want to recognize her. The next Sunday, we have our Christmas cantata. You have two different uh, times. You'll see an insert about that. Uh, we're, we're doing tickets this year. And I noticed a number of you have already reserved tickets. And you have envelopes with those tickets with your names there in the narthex. You want to check them afterwards. The reason we're doing tickets is that typically, as you know, the sanctuary is full. And uh, we don't want to be in a position where we're having to turn people away as they, you know, come to walk in. So that's the reason for that. Uh, if you want tickets, just call in, email Yvonne, and we will we'll get them to you. It's the same thing for Christmas Eve as well. We'll have, be having two services, one in the daylight hours and one in the evening, and you'll need tickets uh, as well. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Our scripture reading is Psalm 78, 1 through 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonder of sending Jesus to the world. Thank you that our parents have told us of your wonders. May we be faithful to tell of your wonders to our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.
For a call to worship, I'm going to read from Psalm 98, which our hymn, Our Joy to the World, is based on. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord. And we have come gladly, our great God, to sing praises to you. And we particularly rejoice in the sending of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We come in his name and and through his work. And we pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us so that as we lift up our, our hymns of praise to you, as we pray to you, as we receive your word, that all would be pleasing to you as we offer up to you this sacrifice of worship. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, Joy to the World.
may be seated. For a confession of faith, let us uh, recite our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, Father, we do give you praise that you are the one who dwells in heaven. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We give you praise that you are in heaven, that you sent God the Son here to dwell upon this earth. And we celebrate that coming. We rejoice in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wonder at the mystery of it all. How is it that the God who is omnipresent, the God who is everywhere, yet could be conceived in the the womb of a young maiden? It's beyond our understanding, and we we praise you and, and we worship you for this. We give you praise that this is truth, that we hold by faith and that we proclaim. We thank you that it is not a nice story to make us feel good in, in difficult times and uh, just kind of just speak to our longings. It is the truth. Jesus Christ is God the Son, that he was conceived uh, in, in the womb of Mary, that she gave birth to him, that he came and dwelt upon this earth bearing our flesh. This is the truth. We give you praise for what that truth has led to. It led to his, in that flesh, going to the cross, bearing our sins, bearing our guilt. It led to, on even wondrous more truth, of his resurrection, of his ascension on high, and we can bear witness to these things. Indeed, our Father, it is upon such truth that we place all of our hopes, our lives, that we live here upon this earth. And we have the hope before us that someday, someday our Lord Jesus will return again. He will return in that flesh, but he will return in all of his glory. And that kingdom that he ushered in in his first time will be consummated at his return. And at that time, there would need to be no sun, no moon, no 
stars for God the Father, God the Son will be our light and will dwell with us. Oh, how wondrous this all is. And it all beginning here with this, it what took place that we celebrate at Christmas time. Our Father, provide for us our daily bread. Feed us with your word. Feed us as we worship you this morning. Heal the sick. We lift up our brothers and sisters before you. We pray for their healing. They're continuing to grow stronger. Pray for their recovery. We pray, our Father, that you would forgive our debts, that you would give us such a spirit as yours to forgive the debts of others. Lead us not into temptation, but all the more deliver us from the evil one who ever tempts us. Deliver us from the temptations of this world, from the weaknesses of our flesh. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom, the power and the glory in Christ's name. Amen.
Again, I want to thank the choir uh, for the beautiful music. You've gotten a taste of the cantata. So that will be sung at the cantata. The, the prelude, I believe, will be, you'll also be hearing that as well. So we, we hope you'll come. You know, I, I, I think actually what this year is a testimony for is that all kinds of things can happen. But Christmas is still real. And, uh, and this is what the, the Christmas season reminds us of. All that's taken place. Uh, we walk into the sanctuary. We see these uh, beautiful decorations. We hear the, the music. And it reminds us Christmas is still real. What took place uh, is not going to change. And someday our Lord Jesus will return. Well, the last time I was here, three Sundays ago, uh, we were in the middle of chapter 11 of Hebrews. That's the great chapter about faith. It takes us through that uh, hall of fame list of men and women of faith. We saw how through uh, using Abel, Enoch, and Noah, the necessity of having faith in things that, are, that we cannot see. And then through Abraham, with Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, We saw the impact in having faith in the promises of God, particularly in the promise that someday that we will dwell in the heavenly city, how that can uh, cause people to to live for the glory of God. Now, for our remaining Advent Sundays, I thought what we would do is we turn to the New Testament and look at these men and women at their faith and see how we can learn from them. And so this morning, we're looking at the faith of Simeon and Anna. Uh, you're welcome to turn with me to our text. You can use your, your Bibles in Luke 2, 22 to 38. You'll also find in your bulletins, you'll see an insert. And on the back of that insert is the text as well. So reading in verses 22 to 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Joseph and Mary, they've taken Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. They are doing two things. They're fulfilling uh, Mary's duty of purification that follows 40 days after giving birth to her son. Then they're also fulfilling the duty of dedicating Jesus as the firstborn son. A sacrifice needed to be made uh, for him. Just a little note that they offered two birds indicate that they are a poor family. Now, we're going to now turn to Simeon and Anna. The first thing we're going to look at is how they are described. Look with me at verses, uh, first of all, 25 and 26 about Simeon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then go down with me to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So let's look, first of all, what Simeon and Anna have in common. They're both prophets. Luke specifically says that Anna is a prophetess. And when he speaks of of Simeon uh, having the Holy Spirit, the the man upon whom the Holy Spirit has come upon, that's just a way, again, of saying that he is a prophet. They both live in Jerusalem. And then there's what is said about their character. Simeon is, is told to be righteous. What that means is he's a man who observes the law. He is devout. And he then does what Anna does. Uh, that means that being a devout man, he continually worshiped God. He would do it with fasting and with prayer. And that is specifically what is said of Anna. Indeed, it seems to be a calling of Anna uh, to to worship God continually there in the temple. We know furthermore that they're both old. Simeon's prayer will be that he may now depart in peace. That indicates that he's an old man. Anna is at least 84, possibly older. It depends on how you interpret uh, that particular passage. So what we're given then is a man or a man and a woman who are of God, they are righteous, they are faithfully carrying out their calling with patience and devotion. Now, they're both about to encounter Jesus and his parents. Let's see how they will each react. Look with me, beginning in verse 27 to verse 35. And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in their child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And coming up at, and then go with me to verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the first thing that we learn about Simeon and Anna, when they see Jesus, is they recognize him. Uh, They recognize that he is the Messiah. Now, they're not together. When they see the family, they are at different times. Simeon evidently is the first one to see them. Uh, Then he leaves, and probably within that same hour, then Anna comes upon them. So in both cases, the Holy Spirit 
has given them each the eyes to see and the minds to understand who this infant is. Now, the next thing about both of them is that they each prophesize to Jesus' identity. Through their blessing of God, they're going to proclaim who he is. Now, let me just note here that when it speaks of Simeon blessing God, that's simply a way of saying when you bless God, you give thanks to God. And this is what both of them are doing. So Anna proclaims the child as the one who is bringing redemption. Simeon refers to him as the salvation of God. So what we have here are faithful prophets who recognize, who proclaim Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah. So let's take them now and let's put them back in Hebrews in chapter 11 about these men and women of faith and see how our author, how he would have described them. Now, he may have put Anna with Abel. Uh, Abel's the one who offered that sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And, And also with Enoch, the one who pleased God. He could have said something like this, By faith, Anna daily offered a pleasing sacrifice of worship, fasting, and prayer. He might have paired Simeon with with Noah. By faith, Simeon, being told by God concerning an event yet unseen, faithfully visited the temple until he beheld the Messiah. Or another thing he could have done is he could have placed them in that section with the patriarchs. He could have said something like this, by faith, Simeon and Anna, they lived in the land of promise. And they awaited the Messiah of promise. By faith, they did not become discouraged, even as they waited into old age. Or he could have linked them with Isaac and Jacob, particularly Simeon. He could have said, by faith, Simeon blessed the infant Jesus, trusting that the promise would be fulfilled in him. Or he could have, noting that they lived in the city of Jerusalem, It says something like this. By faith, Simeon and Anna look to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He could have said of Simeon, by faith, Simeon, he looked to a kingdom that transcended the the boundaries of Israel. He saw the Messiah who was the light of the Gentiles. And indeed, he saw that the glory of Israel would be that through her, the Messiah would come to bring light to the whole world. Now, here's the question for us then. As we look at Simeon, their faith, and the faith of Adam, and ask ourselves, will we bear that same faith? Now, we have not been given the calling of prophets, but nevertheless, we have received the same Holy Spirit that they received. It is the Holy Spirit who gave us life. The Holy Spirit who caused us to be able to hear, to to respond to the gospel, to recognize who the Messiah is, to be convicted of our sins, to turn in faith to the Messiah. And so then we can ask ourselves this question. Will we, like them, keep the faith? Will we keep the faith through the years? 
through the decades, even as we grow old, will we keep the faith that we had when we were young? You know, age has a way of subtly leading us to kind of kind of mellow in our conviction. I still remember my first pastorate, which was nearly 40 years ago. And I remember a statement of an elderly, at least he appeared to me to be an elderly man at that time. And he said how he was, he was coasting through his final years. Now, I, that just amazed me. But I have, I have more sympathy to that now. And all the more, then, I have to watch myself. I mean, to be honest, I would like to coast through the remaining years that the Lord has given to me. But if the Lord has given me more years, then he evidently intends for me to use those years, to use those years to bear witness for him, to to keep the faith and to demonstrate that faith. You know, there are things, someday you're going to get to be my age, so you, you listen to this. There are things that I cannot do as well as when I was younger. But there's one thing I can do much better, and that is to de- demonstrate faithfulness in old age. See, the young cannot do that. And they can show what zeal looks like. They can show what devotion looks like. But they cannot show what a long, faithful obedience looks like. Will we be like Simeon and like Anna who demonstrated that long, faithful obedience? Here's another question. Will we keep the faith through the changing times. And we worry about the changes that have been taking place in our own country, I'd say over the last decade or so. I mean, you think about it, within just a matter of a few years, the beliefs and especially the moral values of the Christian faith are now, they're now ridiculed and just outright attacked. I mean, so much so that to publicly espouse beliefs, act on our principles. I mean, there are people who have been sued over this. There are people who have lost their jobs. People have lost their businesses. So what's going to happen in the near future? We, we worry about that. And that's a legitimate concern. But the greater concern for us is whether or not we will remain faithful. Let's go back to the letter of Hebrews. Do you remember what that's about? The author, he's writing uh, to believers who are actually undergoing even worse things. They are living under outright persecution. And when he writes them, he's not very sympathetic. You know, he's not, he's not talking about, gee, this, I'm so sorry for what things you're going through. He has one overriding concern. That is, people remain faithful to their Lord. Stay the course. That's the case we have here in Simeon and Anna. They lived in a country that had been overtaken, that was ruled by a foreign country. Uh, that was 
pagan in its beliefs and values. But they kept the faith. They kept faith in the reality of their religion. They did not assume that because uh, the foreign armies had come in, then apparently God is not God. They held on to that. And they kept the faith in believing in the promise of a Messiah. You know, much of their land had become by this time what is called Hellenized. What that means is that the culture of the Romans of the Greeks was starting to infiltrate into the lifestyle, the culture of the Jewish people. But they still kept the faith. They did not compromise. They held on to what they knew to be true. And that's the question for us. Will we? I mean, today, we're considered fools to believe in a God who is the creator, uh, that he created man above all other creatures. We're definitely considered intolerant to believe that God has ordained one way of salvation. We're considered backwards to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And now, we're actually considered to be wicked to believe in what Scripture teaches about what is right and wrong. And I don't think the danger for us, we may not reject our faith, but it will become increasingly easier to you know, kind of water it down a little bit, to compromise the truth. You know, times are changing, and you know, we need to do this to get along in society. Will we keep the faith, like Simeon and Adam? Now, here's another question. Will we live among those who consider us fools, who even regard us as enemies? Will we live among them as though they are our beloved neighbors? Will we love them, even as they despise us? Will we speak the truth in love? Will we bless those who curse us? Or to put it another way, will we live as citizens of the kingdom of God rather than that of the world? Now, Jesus taught us what that was like through the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember that. It involves, of course, keeping the morals that were actually taught in, in the Mosaic Law. You know, Jesus did not relax the Old Testament laws. He, if anything, he strengthened them. To, to hate a person is to murder them. To look at a woman with lust is to commit adultery. And then he took the law at a level never considered before. He said, we're to love our enemies. And he gives examples. Someone slaps you on the cheek, well, we're to turn the other cheek. When someone unlawfully, unjustly causes us to walk a mile and carry their pack, go the extra mile. When someone unjustly takes away our coat, give them the jacket as well. You know, you think about it, anybody can be strict about their morals. You don't have to be part of the God's kingdom to do that. But this extra step, being marked out as a, as a, as a citizen of God's kingdom, that's bearing this radical love. That's what marks us 
as followers of Jesus. Now, speaking of Jesus, he becomes the sign that reveals the hearts of everyone. Let's go back to what Simeon said about him. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is, is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And what Simeon had in mind was the opposition that Jesus would receive from his own people, but especially the religious leaders. Those were the very persons who ought to have recognized that he was the Messiah and then proclaim him to others. They purported to love God, but their reaction to Jesus would reveal what was really in their hearts. And so we need to to ask, are we going to be like Simeon and Anna, like Abel, like Abraham, like, uh, like Sarah? And are we going to have eyes that look not just on a here in the world, but look at the heavenly city? Well, what is it to have eyes like that? How does it cause one to live, particularly during times of oppression? Now, I tell you, when I'm, when I'm writing the sermon, the first person who comes to my mind, I always think about her. It's an example of Betsy Ten Boom. Do you remember who she was? The, the sister of Corey Ten Boom, who wrote that book, The Hiding Place. Maybe you've read the book. If you haven't, you need to go find the book and, and read it. Or maybe you've seen the, the movie, I think, was made by the Billy Graham organization which is also very moving. Now, Betsy and Corey Tim Boone, they were part of a family in the Netherlands. They um, hid uh, Jews uh, from the German occupation, and they were discovered. As a result, they were sent to concentration camps. Uh, they sent uh, to one, and the, the second one they were sent to was Ravensbrück in Germany. And Corey writes the book basically about her sister, what she was like. And she gives one example here. It's the night that, that, Ger- that the Netherlands is invaded by Germany. Uh, the planes have come. The bombers are bombing uh, the country. They're sitting. They're awakened by the sounds of it. They begin to pray together. They pray for, for their country. They pray for the people who are being killed, who are being injured by these bombs. They pray for their queen. And then Betsy starts praying for the German bombers. Corey writes, She saw them as being entangled in a great evil that had been loosed in Germany. Then she gives another example. Okay, they've been discovered. They're sent to a concentration camp. They're being processed. And Betsy turns to Corey and starts talking to her about, well, teaching the women around them to love. She says, if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. We must find the way, you and I, no matter how long it takes. It took a moment, but Corey finally realized that her sister was talking about the guards. She writes, I glanced at the matron sitting at the desk ahead of us, And I saw a gray uniform and a visored hat. Betsy saw a wounded 
human being. Well, they eventually find out who it was that had betrayed them to the Gestapo. And Corey responds, well, she responded basically, I think, how I would have responded. She writes this way. Flames of fire seemed to leap around in my heart. I thought of my father's final hours, of the underground work so abruptly halted. And I knew that if the betrayer stood in front of me now, I could kill him. All of me ached with the violence of my feelings about the man who had done so much harm, and that night I did not sleep. She couldn't sleep most nights after that. But she noticed that her sister was, didn't seem to have that same kind of rage. And so finally she, she asked her, Betsy, don't you feel anything uh, about him? Talking about the betrayal. Doesn't it bother you? Betsy answered, oh yes, Corey, terribly. I've felt for him ever since I knew and I pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. Now, Ginger and I read this book uh, over 40 years ago, and it was back in seminary. And uh, I lost the copy, so I had to go on, online on the Internet to, to find these quotes. But the scene that I remembered best, that I couldn't find on, on the Internet, is... They're being processed, and part of the processing, they are stripped naked. And they're standing there in a, in a line, and suddenly Betsy just turns to Corey, and she's excited. Corey, our Lord was stripped naked. I understand now. Their humiliation caused her to understand the humiliation of her, of her Lord, and all the more, she is filled with adoration. Of her God. You see, here's a woman whose heart for Jesus, it was revealed under persecution. I mean, she was good before then, but the persecution truly reveals what kind of heart she had. Now, the rise of Nazi Germany was a great evil. And we pray nothing like that, of course, ever happens again. We need to look at all of these things from the perspective of eternity. And in that perspective, what matters is that of do we belong to the heavenly kingdom and the heavenly city? What really matters to our God, to our Lord Jesus Christ, is whether or not we possess hearts that reveal that we belong to him and not to this world. You know, it's easy to follow Jesus to possess uncompromising uh, values of Jesus. Really, even to have that radical love of Jesus in a culture that honors those kinds of beliefs and those kinds of values. I mean, those kind of conditions, there are also, though, many who believe that they're saved and they're lost. It's when the hard times come. That's when the hearts are revealed. And may our hearts then be as those of Simeon, of Anna, of Betsy Tim Boom, who by faith look beyond this world. They look to their Messiah, 
They look to the kingdom that he has brought and that he now rules over. And they remain faithful to him. We pray, our God, that we will remain faithful to you, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep our faith strong. Keep us ever looking to him, realizing that there is a a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly setting, and that what matters upon this earth is how well we reveal our faith in Jesus Christ upon this earth. Keep us ever faithful. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. O come, O come, Emmanuel.
Now may you truly rejoice in Emmanuel. And may you keep the faith as you worship and follow the Messiah, your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.